So my name is Nate. I serve over at Redeemer City Church. Uh, I love this series that we're doing in August um, because it really kind of is a reminder of what we're about in the city. We really long to see a movement of the gospel that sees the multiplication of churches so that this city might be transformed. And um, I know many of you, not all of you, but um, 11 years ago, my, my wife, three kids, were a part of the group that moved here um, to be a part of helping to plant the vine and a vision to continue to see churches multiplied. And so it's always really, um, it just means a lot to be here um, for me personally. And uh, just know that um, love you dearly. I'm grateful for the partnership that we have and the leadership that's here. I'm just really grateful for that. Well, if you have your Bible, we are in this series, Life Together in Light of God's Mercies, and we're going to be in Romans 12, uh, two verses today, verses 9 and 10. So I'll read it, and then we'll, we'll hop in. It says this, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. This ends the reading. So several years ago, this was posted on a Craigslist ad in New York. Okay, I'm tired of being around the bush. I'm a beautiful, spectacularly beautiful old girl. I'm articulate and classy. I'm looking to get married to a guy who makes at least a half a million a year. I know that sounds, I know how that sounds, but keep in mind that a million a year is middle class in New York City, so I don't think I'm overreaching at all. Are there any guys who make 500,000 or more on this board? Any wives? Could you send me some tips? I dated a businessman who makes an average around 200 to 250, but that's where I seem to hit a roadblock. 250,000 won't get me to Central Park West. I know a woman in my yoga class who is married to an investment baker and lives in Tribeca, and she's not as pretty as I am, nor is she a great genius. So what is she doing right? How do I get to her level? Please hold your insults. I'm putting myself out there in an honest way. Most beautiful women are superficial. At least I'm upfront about it. I wouldn't be searching for these kind of guys if I wasn't able to match them in looks, culture, sophistication, and keeping a nice home and hearth. That's the end of her post. And then there's a reply. I read your posting with great interest and have thought meaningfully about your dilemma. I offer the following analysis of your predicament. Firstly, I'm not wasting your time. I qualify as a guy who fits your bill. That is, I make more than 500000 per year. That said, here's how I see it. You offer, from the perspective of a guy like me, is plain and simple a crappy business deal. Here's why. What you suggest is a simple trade. You bring your looks to the party, and I bring my money. Fine. Simple. But here's the rub. Your looks will fade, and my money will likely continue into per perpetuity. In fact, it is very likely that my income, in income increases, but it is an absolute certainty 
that you will not be getting any more beautiful. So in economic terms, you are a depreciating asset and I am an earning asset. So in Wall Street terms, we would call you a trading position, not a buy and hold. Hence the rub, marriage. It doesn't make good business sense to buy you, which is what you're asking. So I'd rather lease, end quote. Well, what do you think? Is that genuine love? No, right? It's, it's, it's obvious. We, in this example, right, this, this real-life example, we have a love that is transactional. A love of what's in it for me. We have a love that's conditional, based on how good you look or how much you make. And our passage today is one in which the Apostle Paul is calling those who put their faith in this gospel, this good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and he's calling them to be a community, not of transactional love, not of conditional love, but a community of genuine love. And think about that for a moment. There's kind of like one mark that Christians are to be known by. Remember that time in Jesus' ministry in John 13 where Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The distinguishing mark of those who are called out in the gospel, the distinguishing mark of that community that is to set them apart is not their beauty, it is not their assets, it is not their position in the culture, it is love. And Paul here, in these two verses, we're going to see three things. He's going to tell us what genuine love is, secondly, he's going to tell us what genuine love does, and then thirdly, He's going to tell us how we can actually grow into becoming a community of genuine love. So, let me pray for our time, and we'll get in. Heavenly Father, um, we need your help. You know us through and through, and you know how frequently our love is not genuine. Comfort us, correct us, equip us, empower us, to be the community you've called us to be, a community of genuine love. So take these moments and multiply them, we pray, for your glory. Amen. Well, what is genuine love? You know, verse 9, um, I'll read it again. It says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. You know, all three of those brief kind of statements, kind of pithy statements, they have one thing in common. They're all about truth. You know, the, the first phrase, let love be genuine, in the original language, it's, it's the word in which we get the word unhypocritical. It means our love towards others ought to be authentic, through and through. Uh, this past um, uh, summer, actually, 
uh, you, you, Justin and Laurel came over and helped us begin to lay engineered hardwood floors in our kind of main upstairs room. It was wonderful. But if you know anything about engineered hardwood, you know that it's basically this. It's three to seven millimeters of legit hard, or excuse me, um, oak, maple, or other words, um, wood. And then underneath, it's plywood, right? In other words, it's not hardwood through and through. It's a veneer. And Paul is saying here that the love we have towards others cannot be an engineered love that has a nice veneer. In other words, a veneer of politeness and warmth and niceness on the surface should not be mixed on the inside with a spirit of gossip or envy or prejudice or malice. It ought to be through and through. Now, what's really, let's just be honest for a moment, Midwestern people are really good at engineered love. I've had people move from the Northwest out here and they'll get out here and they're like, everybody's so nice. And there is some truth to that. And then I'm always like, but just wait, (laughs) just wait. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm sure in this room, there are certain people where you look across or certain friends you have or family members you have, and it's, it's really not hard in some sense to have an authentic love, a love that's through and through, a love that like is truly warm and polite and nice because there's something about them that's easy to love. But I want you to understand, in the subtext of the book of Romans, the original audience was a group of Gentile and Jewish Christians. There's actually quite a growing division in this church because of their cultural and ethnic backgrounds and some of the socioeconomic realities that we're facing in that current day. And so when, when Paul says, let your love be genuine, he's... He's calling them to do that to one another. And just recognize this. You cannot pick and choose who you offer genuine love towards. Does that make sense? Like, that's really important. You you can't say, well, you know what? I'm going to offer politeness and warmth and a sincere love to those who only match your political ideology. It means that person who posted that thing on Facebook that you can't believe, they really believe that. And then you see them in Citigroup that week. It means your call to offer genuine love. Not a veneer of niceness underneath a grumbling spirit of this guy's insane or stupid. This means that that person or family of which maybe you are envious of and you're polite and warm but underneath there's this mix of just envy because you don't have what they have. Right? Do do you see that? Do Do you catch just for a moment I hope you see how impossible this is. 
I hope you understand how high the calling is. I hope you understand that there's no way in the midst of your own resources you can pull this off. That's why we're going to point three in a couple, okay? We'll get there, how you do this. But you have to understand how desperate you are. Paul is saying this gospel is to create a community in which there's no veneer, but through and through it is genuine. Unhypocritical towards all. But notice what else Paul says here. He says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. When Paul says this, he's making a point, as one author puts it this way, oftentimes when we we love someone, it can distort our view of good and evil. And that's no more true than our present cultural moment. You know, we live in a day and age in which truth is determined by the self. Truth is determined by what you feel. In our modern culture, that basically just means this. You simply accept them. You don't challenge them. Now, we'll chat about this in a moment, but let me just say this. If you're a parent, you know how stupid that is. In other words, I'll give you a story. Um, Many years ago, um, one of our kids was around four, and we would correct them, and they would get upset. And this certain kid would come running at my shins trying to kick me. And it took everything I was as a parent not to, for a moment, just kind of laugh, because, you know, it's like, it's so easy to dodge a four-year-old trying to kick your shins. I mean, that's just, you don't have to be that, you know, athletic, um, But what do you do in that moment? Do I simply say, you know what, like, kid, I'm sorry for correcting you. I really didn't want to upset you. I didn't want to hurt our our relationship. No, no, no. I don't want that kid growing up to be 30 years old when he's told corrected that he's going to go kick someone in the shins, right? Like, you understand there's correction that is needed. That's actually loving. When Paul talks about hating what is evil and clinging to what is good, he's talking about a truth that is outside of us. There's a good God who created a moral order. And so Paul is saying this, in our relationships with others, as one author put it, any love that fails to confront is really not love at all. I can just tell you personally, um, that's really hard for me. I'm typically um, conflict adverse, you know? Um, This is challenging to me. A genuine love needs to be one that is willing to confront, even at times to lose the beloved, if in the short run it will help them, or in the long run it will help them. In other words, this genuine love, it needs to be a tough love. I need to put it aside of this for a moment. Um, you know, 
Some of you right now are maybe beginning to think about who you're going to have to confront. And that, I'll just say, as a pastor, kind of scares me. <laughs> um, I can imagine a lot of different conversations after the service. I need to go to that person right now. Because l- let me just say this. Any love that confronts like this, it needs to be a mix of humility, done in humility and done with wisdom. I mean, think about Jesus in Matthew 7, the speck in your brother's eye, the plank in your own eye, right? The, the, the point is this, is do you see how great of a need you have, <laughs> how great of issues you have before you look at the speck in someone else's eye? That, that just communicates humility. We don't have time to go into how to do that well this morning, but I'll just recommend a couple different resources. One would be Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand by Paul Tripp. Wonderful resource on that. Um, Great section there on that. And then Side by Side by Ed Welch. They both give really helpful, wise counsel in this. So even this morning, if there are individuals where you are being convicted by God's Spirit that you may need to be an instrument in God's hand, to offer genuine love, love that's a tough love, let me, let me implore you to, to pick up those resources and begin to work through what that might look like. But let me offer one real practical thing, and this is, this is for all of us. Um, think about our relationships in our city groups for a moment. Like, what might happen if in our city group life there were relationships that were being cultivated over the months and over the years where you could actually grow in a way of trust, where you could have someone where you could honestly come to and say this, hey, um, I trust you. And I just want you to know, if, if there is anything you see in my life that you see is off, or that's not geared towards the glory of God, or however you want to put it, would, would you... Would you let me know? Like, think about that for a moment. What might happen if in the collective community of the Vine Church, if those kinds of relationships were cultivated? Do you know how different the Vine would be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? I'm not saying everybody I'm not saying you have to be that way to everybody in your city group, but what if there's a handful of people or one or two people that could cultivate that kind of a relationship? It'd be powerful. So what is genuine love? It's this unhypocritical love toward one another that's both tough and tender. But secondly, Paul shows us what genuine love does. The first is this. It says, be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. And notice how gritty and challenging and compelling this love is to look like. Um, our love as a church ought to be one where we, look, where we love like our own families. Right? In the gospel, we are adopted into this family of God. We're actually brothers and sisters. And one pastor unpacking this put it this way, love at church should resemble the love at work in a healthy family. In a healthy family, you don't give up on your sibling if they develop a problem. Parents become needy in their old age. You don't say, well, I just don't have space for this person or time. In a family, the problems experienced by one family member become the problem of every family member, emotional, physical, financial. 
you walk with them. I remember, um, I remember a, a number of years ago in the early days of the Vine, and um, we were launching these city groups. And I remember, because um, this is really where things get lived out. This is where these one another's get lived out. And I remember um, one, one family coming and talking to us, and they were um, they're struggling with their city group. It just wasn't meeting their expectations. And I remember at one point, um, just beginning to you know, ask questions about, well, what was going on there? I began to understand that before they had moved to Madison, um, they had been involved in a, a small group that was basically, everyone in that group was like them. And so they were, at the time of that one previously, they were, they were young and married, so they had this whole group of just young marrieds. And it was this incredible affinity, I mean, just to show up and to meet people who were walking through the same season of life. It's beautiful. And then the reality was when they entered city group life, they were mixed with a lot of different people, a lot of different ages, a lot of different stages of life. And they were just saying, we're just, you know, it's just not, it's just not meeting us. Let me say a couple of things. First is affinity is not wrong. In fact, let me say it's really helpful. You should cultivate relationships where young marrieds are together and singles and so forth. That should all happen. But here's the point. This being devoted to one another, it's actually in those moments where you show up and there's actually nothing that you feel like you're really going to get out of it. That's actually where it becomes cultivated. Does that make sense? Like, the counsel for this couple, it was... It was basically this, keep showing up, keep serving those in your group who are unlike you, keep growing in gratitude for, for those that God has placed alongside you in the season of life. In other words, as you do city group life, like, just be faithful, show up, bake some things. If you have to resume to like some sort of Zoom session, or I don't know what's going to happen, Right? Like just be faithful, be devoted. That's, that's a mark of this genuine love. It's what it looks like. It means even as you get into that group and you're beginning to know others, and maybe there's nothing flashy or nothing that you have in common with them, it means you hang in there. I love this quote by Richard Newhouse. He writes this, Real community is a discipline and devotion of disparate people bearing with one another in the hard task of love. Then secondly, Paul shows us the second thing of what it looks like. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. And, And this means to treat someone as valuable and precious. He's great statements rooted in this, this um, in the Imago Dei, the image of God, the foundation in Genesis that everyone is created in the image of God and has intrinsic dignity. And that means no matter the color of your skin, your socioeconomic standing, your political affiliation, this genuine love and action, as one pastor put it, says, communicates this, you matter to God, and you are important to us. Um, last fall, when we were like, you know, in the midst of like all the pandemic, whatever, and we were meeting on Zoom, um, our city group, uh, we were talking about like, what would it look like to live out this 
identity as a family. And one of the ideas we had was, well, you know, most families know each other's birthdays. I don't know. So one night, we just kind of figured out where everybody's birthdays were, and, and even kids included. And um, someone in our group this past year has literally baked a dessert for every one of those birthdays, including the kids. And these are amazing desserts. Amazing. She is, she knows what you want. She knows what your favorite thing is. She'll work it into that dessert. I mean, it's phenomenal. But bottom line, this is what it is. It's, it's, what is she communicating there? You matter. Think for a moment, like what might happen if we increasingly grew in outdoing one another and showing honor, if, if it's a Sunday gathering or in a city group life, old, young, singles, married, black, white, brown, as they encountered a community, they walked away knowing one thing, they mattered. I mean, just forget, right, like, forget Facebook ads, forget the big sign out front, like, a community where people could show up and know they mattered? Is there anything more compelling in this day and age? I don't know if there is. But that's what Paul is telling. This is what the gospel does. This is what the kind of community the gospel creates. Well, lastly, where, where are the resources to live this out? And here's the point. You need the genuine love that God has shown you in Christ to transform you and to live in light of it. You know, think about where this passage begins in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul writes. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul, for the last 11 chapters, has been unpacking the mercies of God, right? John did a great job leading us through confession and assurance, talking about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But the good news, right, is that God has loved us in spite of who we are, as enemies, and come after us in the person and work of Jesus. Or let me put it this way. Let me put it through the filter of genuine love that God has towards you and I. His love is a genuine love, for he doesn't love us because we have met a certain standard or earned his love or that we have anything in common with him, right? It is a love marked by grace that is undeserved, or how about this? His love is a genuine love or is committed to truth. It abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. And it does it in the most astonishing way, right? Because Jesus Christ is crucified for our sins. He doesn't get rid of truth. But he takes it for us to welcome us in. His love is a genuine love. For where do you see anyone's love who's so devoted to you? Think about it. Think about your own story. Why is it that even this week we can come, we can confess our sins and trust that his love is still there because he's devoted to us? 
Or how about this? Where else do we find a love who outdoes one another in showing honor? What does he do? He, he steps into the flesh. The Son of God puts on our skin. Is there any, there's nothing out there that communicates anything like this that you matter to God. See, are you catching a glimpse of the genuine love that God has for you? And see, here's how it gets worked out. Because Paul is saying this has to get worked out in the community. When you come across someone who has wronged you or hurt you or whom you disagree with on so many different issues, here's what it means. It's a prayerful gospel dependence with something like this. Oh Lord, I have offended you so much more than this person has to me. Yet you gave up your life for me. And all I need to do is give up some time and effort for this person. That's what it looks like on the streets. One of my favorite quotes about this genuine love, this quote by Frederick Buechner, he says, says this. It'll be up there. The love for equals is a human thing. A friend for friend, brother for brother. It is love toward is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion and it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail. To rejoice without envy with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich. Of the black man for the white man. The world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. This morning, if you're not a Christian, let me ask you, do you know this love? A love that loves his enemies. A love that loves those who are unlovely. That welcomes them in, not because of their performance, but because of his sons. Who's willing to lay himself out for you in his death on the cross and his resurrection and would welcome you in. It's simply by faith. You can trust that love even today through Christ. But then church, let me say this. Years ago, this is, there's a kind of a legend of John the Apostle. He's when he was a very old, old man. In his final sermon, he was carried into the church and he said this, little children love one another. And then he said it again and again and again and again. In fact, that was all he said. And some people thought this was the remarks of a silly, senile old man. But others understood that this sermon was his life's reflection of the meaning of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, in light of the genuine love that God has shown you, love one another with a genuine love.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your love toward us. A love that is not passive. A love that is not conditional. A love that is not, in any sense, transactional, other than the fact that you have done it all. And Father, we pray and we ask you for your help in the days and weeks and months that follow. Lord, the Vine Church, the massive multiplied network would be marked by a distinct love. And that those in, in the midst of our relationships could look in and say there's something different. So we pray, Father, for your spirit to help us. And we give you thanks for your word this morning that guides us.